0: Welcome to the Verity Podcast for Tuesday, October 24th, 2023, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Scott Wallace. And I'm Eric Steiner with
1: a look at today's top stories. The U.S. and European nations push for a delay in Israel's ground invasion of Gaza. The U.N. claims to have new evidence of Russian war crimes in Ukraine. Maria Karina Machado claims victory in Venezuela's opposition primary.
0: Mille and Massa head for Argentina's election runoff.
1: Democrats seek a classified briefing on whether White House chaos helps China. A second Trump lawyer pleads guilty in the Georgia case. Detroit police find no evidence of a hate crime in the murder of a synagogue president. A search is underway for the suspected killer
0: of a Maryland judge. A Key Stellantis pickup truck plant joins the simmering U.S. auto workers' strikes. And the Philippines bans its military from using AI image generators. In our top story, according
1: to a recent report, U.S. and European countries push Israel to delay a Gaza invasion. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the Times of Israel, New York Times, and Reuters. The governments of the U.S. and a number of European countries have been quietly pushing Israel to delay a ground invasion of Gaza, according to multiple reports in U.S. and Israeli media. In a New York Times report on Sunday citing unnamed U.S. officials, the publication said members of President Joe Biden's administration were advising the delay in order to buy time in hostage negotiations, as well as to better fortify U.S. interests in the region against possible Iranian-backed responses to the invasion. According to one U.S. source who spoke to the Times, it was Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin who took the message of delay to the Israelis. The Times reported that this was because, quote, the Pentagon is helping advise Israel on military actions, including the ground invasion. A few days earlier on Friday, the Times of Israel cited a senior diplomatic source and reports that the U.S. government, in addition to a handful of European countries, was quietly pushing Tel Aviv to hold off from launching a ground invasion. Meanwhile, with Israeli forces still massed on the border with Gaza and a ground invasion still appearing imminent, the Israeli military continued to bombard Gaza on Monday. Israeli Defense Forces, or IDF, said it struck 320 targets in the last 24 hours. Since the Hamas attack that killed 1,400 Israelis on October seventh, more than 4,600 people have now been killed in Gaza, health authorities there said on Monday. In the meantime, while small amounts of aid have reached Gaza, the UN has reiterated calls for the expansion of the number of border crossings. The agency said that deliveries, so far, have amounted to a fraction of what's needed to address humanitarian issues with shortages of food, water, medicine, and fuel. Elsewhere, with reports of Israeli attacks on Lebanon and clashes with Palestinians in the West Bank continuing in the last day, there remain signs the conflict has a chance of spreading. Thanks, Eric. On this
0: program, we separate the spin from the facts. Those were our facts, and now for the pro-Israel narrative spin from the Times of Israel. While the U.S. and other allies don't tell Israel what action to take, they do advise Tel Aviv and are helping the aim of eliminating Hamas. In this instance, the allies warn that hostages, some of which come from a number of these Western countries, would be more difficult to retrieve if a ground invasion started immediately. Al
1: Jazeera gives us a pro-Palestine narrative. Even within the Biden administration, there's a documented pushback against full support for Israel's military actions in Gaza and the resulting humanitarian cataclysm. Quote, a dissent cable may be soon coming from U.S. diplomats rejecting unwavering support of Tel Aviv's military campaign. The quiet urging of the White House for Israel to delay its dreaded ground invasion may be a reflection that many within the Biden administration are also advocating for Palestine civilians. And we have
0: a nerd narrative from the Metaculous Prediction community. They predict a 50% chance that Israel will lift the blockade on electricity, food, Gasoline and Medicine in Gaza by December 2023. The UN claims to find new evidence of Russian war crimes in Ukraine. Here are the facts as agreed upon by The Guardian, Reuters, Relief Web, and The New York Times. On Friday, the UN Commission of Inquiry, citing hundreds of interviews with local residents, claimed to have found new evidence collected in the Kherson and Zaporizhia regions confirming that Russian forces have committed war crimes in Ukraine including rape, torture, and the deportation of 31 children. Claiming that the use of torture by Russian authorities in areas under their control has been widespread and systematic, the report said the alleged atrocities were committed primarily against men suspected of collaborating with Ukrainian authorities. The report follows the International Criminal Court issuing an arrest warrant for Russian President Vladimir Putin in March for allegedly overseeing the unlawful transfer of unaccompanied Ukrainian children to the Russian Federation. The Kremlin has previously denied that it targets civilians in Ukraine or that it has forcibly removed Ukrainian children, claiming that it has moved orphans or minors without parental care to Russia for their safety, with many of them being placed with relatives. Meanwhile, the U.N. report also alleged that it had found three instances of Kyiv, which has also faced accusations of carrying out war crimes, abusing Ukrainians accused of passing information to Moscow. Scott, thank you for laying those facts
1: out. The first spin is an anti-Russian narrative coming from Washington Post. The Russian forces have long committed abuses amounting to war crimes with the tacit consent of the high command. So, it isn't surprising that the U.N. report has found further evidence of human rights violations in Moscow's unprovoked war of aggression against Ukraine. These atrocities remain inherent to the Russian way of war. Putin and those following his orders must all
0: face justice at the ICC. And TAS brings us the pro-Russia narrative. The outbreak of the Israel-Hamas conflict has once again shined a light on how hypocritical the Western countries are with regard to allegations of war crimes, as they have resorted to this rhetoric to try to diplomatically isolate Russia, but are supporting Israel as it bombs the Gaza Strip. The UN report is another biased political stunt to smear Moscow's military actions. The nerd narrative says there's a 90% chance that the International Court of Justice will
1: rule before 2040 that Russia must pay reparations to Ukraine according to the Metaculous Prediction community. Turning our attention to Venezuela, as Machado claims victory in an opposition primary. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, France 24, New York Times, Washington Post, and La Prensa Latina Media. Former lawmaker Maria Carina Machado, giving her lead in the vote count, declared victory in the Venezuelan opposition's presidential primary held Sunday to choose a unity candidate to run against President Nicolas Maduro in the 2024 elections. Quote, today I received a mandate, Machado said at her campaign headquarters after the organizing National Primary Commission announced she had received 93% of the votes from 20 million eligible voters, with only 26% of ballots counted. The U.S. last week lifted sanctions on Venezuela's oil, gas, and gold sectors for six months. This follows a deal signed Tuesday in Barbados, where Maduro's government said all parties could choose their candidates grant all campaigns fair access to the media, and permit international election observers. Washington demanded that Caracas provide a concrete timetable for the admission of all candidates to the presidential election or risk the reimposition of punitive measures. Despite being disqualified from running for office by the comptroller's office, 56-year-old Machado on Monday promised to remove, quote, Nicolas Maduro and his regime from power in the upcoming presidential elections and begin the reconstruction of our nation.
0: Thanks, Eric. We have a pro-establishment narrative from Merco Press. The sweeping victory of liberal Machado in the self-managed primaries proves that Venezuelans will not be intimidated from exercising their democratic rights. The ban imposed on Machado is a sign of the Maduro regime's weakness and shows that Caracas fears the will of the people. Venezuelans are demanding change, and the first step in reclaiming their country and ending the era of Chavismo has been taken. The U.S. will stand with the Venezuelans on their path to freedom and a self-determined future. The establishment critical narrative
1: comes from World Socialist website. The Maduro government banned Machado from running for office because the U.S.-backed candidate was a supporter of the disastrous sanctions against Venezuela and an advocate of military intervention for regime change. The U.S.-Venezuela deal on, quote, free and fair elections is nothing more than a new attempt at blackmail to bring Washington's desired candidate to power after all attempts to topple Maduro have failed. The U.S. is not concerned with Venezuelans, but with its geopolitical interests.
0: And the nerd narrative from Metaculus: There's a 40% chance there will be a civil war in Venezuela before the year 2050. Mille and Massa head for an Argentina election runoff. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the Financial Times, Merco Press, CNN, BBC News, Reuters, and the Buenos Aires Times. Argentina will hold a presidential runoff between the left-wing Peronist coalition candidate Sergio Massa, the incumbent economy minister, and the libertarian outsider Javier Milei on November 19th, after no candidate reached the required polling threshold in Sunday's election. With roughly 98% of the ballots counted, Maso won 36% of the vote, while Milei, the front-runner in pre-election opinion polls, secured 30%. To win outright, a candidate would have to win over 45% of the vote or 40% plus a 10-point lead. Placed third with nearly 24% of the vote, the conservative former security minister, Patricia Bullrich, refused to congratulate Massa, claiming he had been part of the worst government in the country's history. Juan Schiaretti and Miriam Bregman trailed with respective tallies of 6.8% and 2.7%. Under the government of outgoing President Alberto Fernandez, Argentina's annual inflation rate hit 138% in September, while foreign currency reserves have fallen sharply to support the peso's fall, despite currency and price controls. The runoff winner will take office in December and will begin a four-year term running the South American country, which is currently facing its most serious financial crisis over the past two decades. Argentina has seen the lowest turnout since its return to democracy in 1983 with more than a quarter of its electoral roll not exercising their right to vote for president and vice president. Unlike other regions, the provinces of Buenos Aires, Catamarca, and Entre Rios, as well as the autonomous city of Buenos Aires, held local elections together with the national vote. Those
1: were the facts, and the round of spins begins with a left narrative coming from Guardian. Victory within the first round for Massa was an unexpected surprise, and almost certainly a disappointment for the radical libertarian Millet. Having hoped for a similar result like like like-minded Bolsonaro in 2018, Mile's hopes for the perfect evening were ruined as a lack of consensus left Argentina in continued economic and social uncertainty. Despite the lead, a victory for Massa is by no means certain. And despite the current state of the country, Argentina must think twice about allowing the far right to lead a change in
0: direction. And Breitbart brings us the right narrative spin. This is certainly a shocking result, as Mille was expected to pull far better than the incumbent economy minister responsible for Argentina's inflation disaster and economic collapse, but the presidential race is far from being over. Now that a runoff election between Mille and Massa has been triggered, the center-right camp must overcome differences that set the tone of their campaigns to seize the opportunity to crush the Kirchnerismo criminal organization.
1: The Metaculous Prediction Community Nerd Narrative says there is a 52% chance that Javier Mille will win the Argentine presidential election. Democrats seek a classified briefing on whether House chaos helps China. Here are the facts as agreed upon by NBC, The Hill, Reuters, and NPR Online News. In a letter shared with NBC News, a group of U.S. House Democrats have written to National Intelligence Director Avril Haines and CIA Director William Burns alleging that China is using current legislative stagnation in Congress as a propaganda instrument. The letter, signed by the 11 minority members of the House Select Committee on the Chinese Communist Party, or CCP, requests a, quote, classified briefing on how the CCP and foreign adversaries were leveraging current political dysfunction in the House of Representatives. The letter also states that they are deeply concerned that the fallout from the current lack of a House Speaker could sow doubt concerning the strength of the United States. The letter continues, stating there are no assurances that a federal government shutdown would be avoided on November 17th, with the House approaching its third week without an elected Speaker. The letter requests a, quote, classified intelligence briefing by October 31st. This comes as Republicans are holding a vote Monday concerning nine new party candidates for the role of Speaker. Republicans hold a 221 to 212 majority in the House, with 217 needed to elect a Speaker. Representative Kevin McCarthy, Republican of California, was forcibly removed from the role of Speaker early this month, the first time in history such a feat has occurred. So far, two Republican nominees, Steve Scalise, Republican of Louisiana, and Jim Jordan, Republican of
0: Ohio, have failed in their bids for the role. Thanks, Eric. We have four narratives spinning off this story. Let's start with the Democratic spin from the Los Angeles Times. GOP internal bickering merely highlights the general public's lack of trust in American institutions. This goes far beyond domestic politics, as the chaos in Congress is posing national security issues for the U.S., which adversaries such as China are delighted to weaponize as propaganda. The Republican Party must fix its internal issues for the sake of the U.S. at home and on the world stage.
1: National Review has a Republican narrative. The GOP must now come together to reunite the House. If not, the House must consider allowing the Speaker pro tempore to exercise greater power than we have currently witnessed. Either way, the Republican Party has to resolve to end this impasse and balance the ill-conceived policies of the Biden administration, including Biden's policies that are weak on China.
0: China Daily brings the pro-China narrative. The lack of consensus and abundance of chaos in the U.S. House of Representatives has exposed the continued divisions that have forever existed within American society. The U.S. House statement is an inflection point and potential doomsday moment for American hegemony. The Metaculous Prediction community has a
1: nerd narrative for this story as well. They say there's a 30% chance that Tom Emmer, Republican of Minnesota, will be elected the next Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives.
0: Any irony of all that the Democrats are seeking a classified briefing on House chaos, adding more chaos to the House? It's what keeps this world turning, right? It's the chaos in the U.S. Congress that's keeping uh, the, the world <laughs> literally the spinning. spinning. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's definitely a hot air uh, uh, system moving out of the Washington area that's causing some weather patterns for sure. It,
1: We saw with the red balloon from China.
0: (laughs) Our next story a second Trump lawyer pleads guilty in the Georgia case. Here are the facts, as agreed upon by CNN, Daily Wire, The New York Post, The Associated Press, Business Insider, and Forbes. On Friday, Kenneth Chesborough, a former lawyer to Donald Trump and a co defendant in the Georgia election conspiracy case, pleaded guilty to a felony charge of conspiracy to file false documents. As part of the plea deal, Chesborough has agreed to spend five years on probation, pay $5,000 in restitution, complete 100 hours of community service, and write an apology letter to Georgia's residents. Chesborough, who was indicted in August on seven felony charges, including conspiracy to impersonate a public officer, is also required to testify against co-defendants in the election interference case. This comes after longtime GOP lawyer Sidney Powell pleaded guilty to six counts of conspiracy to interfere with election duties. She has also agreed to testify against her co-defendants. Chedsborough and Powell follow Atlanta-based bail bondsman Scott Hall, who pleaded guilty to five misdemeanor charges last month. The remaining 16 defendants, including Trump, have pleaded not guilty. Along with the Georgia proceedings, Trump faces an ongoing civil trial in New York, as well as three other criminal trials in Florida, New York, and Washington, D.C. Scott, thanks for the facts. The first
1: spin is a Democratic narrative coming from Atlantic. First it was bail bondsman Scott Hall, then Sidney Powell, and now Kenneth Chesbro, a key mastermind behind the fake elector scheme. Though a surge of plea deals remains unlikely, these agreements will push others to carefully choose their steps, especially as the three fallen dominoes
0: will assist prosecutors in incriminating the most prominent names. Daily Caller brings the pro-Trump narrative. It has become crystal clear that the playbook of Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis was to overcharge co-defendants in the case against Trump, only to offer them very favorable last-minute plea deals and secure witnesses against her only real target. The justice system doesn't care about trying to hide that the Georgia election case is part of a lawfare campaign against the former president. A nerd narrative says there's an 81%
1: chance that Donald Trump will be charged with witness tampering in Georgia before June 2024. That's according to the Metaculous Prediction community. Detroit police find no evidence of a hate crime in the murder of a synagogue president. Here are the facts as agreed upon by BBC News, Fox News, NBC, CNN, CBS and Fox 2 Detroit. Detroit police say that the murder of a local synagogue president is no evidence of a hate crime driven by anti-Semitism. Authorities are still investigating the killing of Samantha Wall, who was stabbed to death near her home on Saturday. The 40-year-old Wall was the leader of the Isaac Agree downtown Detroit synagogue and resided in the Lafayette Park neighborhood, where her body was found at 6.30 a.m. local time Saturday. Police responded to a 911 call and found Wall collapsed on the walkway of her residence. Detroit Police Chief James E. White said in a statement Sunday that, quote, no evidence has surfaced suggesting that this crime was motivated by anti-Semitism, adding that the investigation into Wall's death showed no evidence of forced entry into her home and that her body displayed no defense wounds. White noted that Wall's large Israeli flag was untouched and that police have yet to identify a suspect or motive for Wall's killing. Investigators are working with the FBI to forensically analyze all of the information obtained up to this point in an effort to ascertain the timeline that ultimately led to Ms. Wall's death. Reports of Wall's death sparked initial accusations of anti-Semitism, which has been on the rise since the Hamas attack on Israel two weeks ago. Wall received tributes from multiple political and religious leaders, including U.S. Representative Elissa Slotkin, Democrat of Michigan, and Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. On Monday afternoon, White gave an update that didn't provide many details other than that Wall had returned home from a wedding at 12.30 a.m. Saturday morning, six hours before she was found. He added that he doesn't currently believe other people are at risk of being targeted.
0: Narrative A comes from Al Jazeera. While the killing of Samantha Wall is a horrific tragedy, there's no evidence at this time, according to police, that it was a hate crime. While the conflict between Israel and Palestine has led to heightened tensions, it's important to use caution when attributing a motive to any action before finding out the details.
1: Time gives us Narrative B. As the investigation into Wall's murder continues, there is a larger pattern of an uptick of hate crimes in America since the start of the Israel-Hamas war. Police departments, the FBI, and Jewish and Islamic organizations alike must now operate in a threat environment of increased anti-Semitism and Islamophobia that is straining America's very social
0: fabric. The search continues for the suspected killer of a Maryland judge. Here are the facts as agreed upon by CBS News, The Associated Press, Insider, BBC News, and Forbes. Authorities on Monday were still searching for Pedro Manuel Argoat, who is suspected of shooting and killing Maryland Circuit Court Judge Andrew Wilkinson last Thursday outside the judge's home in north-central Maryland. The Washington County Sheriff's Office said over the weekend that if it found Argoat's suspected silver Mercedes SUV in a wooded area in Williamsport, approximately eight miles from where the judge was shot in Hagerstown. The U.S. Marshal Service has offered a $10,000 reward for information that could lead to Argoat's arrest. Wilkinson's death came the same day he ruled during a divorce hearing. The hearing granted sole custody of Argoat's four children to his wife, based on Wilkinson's cruelty of treatment of her. Previously, Argoat's wife had filed a domestic violence report against him in June 2022. However, the petition, which said she felt unsafe, was dismissed at a hearing less than two weeks later. According to the sheriff's office, Argoat doesn't have a criminal record, but his home had been visited by law enforcement because of domestic incident allegations. Thank you, Scott, for the facts.
1: We have a right narrative coming from Breitbart. This is yet another example of how laws imposed by Democrats to limit the Second Amendment rights of citizens don't work. Maryland, which has a Democratic governor, has bans on so-called assault weapons, high-capacity magazines, and other gun control measures. Yet this tragedy still took place. This is another
0: case of a criminal committing heinous crimes, not the gun itself being evil. And NBC counters with a Democratic narrative. The odds of a tragedy of this magnitude happening would have been greatly reduced had there been more stringent restrictions on access to firearms. Our GOAT's wife cited his weapons among the reasons she felt threatened by him, and there was a history of him being abusive. Expanded gun laws would keep people like our GOAT from being armed, but the GOP is resisting these common sense measures. Metaculous prediction community
1: has a nerd narrative saying there's a 50% chance that there will be at least 1.4 small firearms per capita in the USA by 2029. The UAW expands the strike to Stellantis pickup truck plant. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Detroit Free Press, Reuters, ABC News, CNN and Fox News. The United Auto Workers Union Monday expanded its ongoing strike to include 6,800 workers at Stellantis' Sterling Heights Assembly plant, the company's largest plant, and where it builds its popular Ram light-duty pickup trucks. More than 40,000 union members have now gone on strike against the three big Detroit automakers, Ford, General Motors, and Chrysler parent Stellantis, since walkouts began September 15th. Three days before the strike's expansion, UAW President Sean Fain said there had been progress in negotiations with General Motors and Stellantis, but the union was awaiting better offers. No progress with Ford has been reported. The UAW has now conducted two, quote, surprise target strikes in two weeks. Previously on October 11th, the union walked out of Ford's largest plant, the Kentucky Truck Plant. In a statement, Stellantis said it's outraged and expected to receive a counter-proposal from the
0: UAW after the last round of negotiations rather than a walkout. Thanks, Eric. The Wall Street Journal brings us Narrative A. Stellantis has already made many concessions to the union's demands, but it appears the UAW might not be negotiating in good faith. Fain's fiery rhetoric isn't helping matters, and the UAW should consider being more conciliatory and think more about how its strikes are affecting the future of the auto industry. The companies are run by accomplished and shrewd businessmen who might figure out ways to succeed with smaller workforces.
1: Narrative B comes from Washington Post. Stellantis presented the UAW with the worst proposal of the three companies, but all three automakers have much more to give based on their bottom lines. And the UAW is ready to keep striking until the companies get closer to the desired cost of living adjustment, progression to full pay, and starting pay offer for temporary workers. The automakers need to take care of their workers or they will be facing strikes for the foreseeable future.
0: The Philippines bans the military from using AI apps. Here are the facts as agreed upon by WION News, Philstar, Express & Star, the Associated Press, and The National. The Philippines has ordered its military to avoid using digital apps that use artificial intelligence to generate digital portraits, warning they could pose significant privacy and security risks. According to an October 14th memo confirmed on Friday, The Philippine defense chief said AI image generators are dangerous because they compile users' data and create a digital person that mimics how a real individual speaks and moves. The Philippines' defense personnel and the 163,000-member military have explicitly warned against using apps requiring users to upload at least 10 pictures and practice vigilance in sharing information online. Furthermore, the memo cautioned that the seemingly harmless and amusing AI-powered apps can be used to create fake profiles that can lead to malicious activities including identity theft, social engineering, and phishing attacks. The ban comes amid the Philippines' attempts to address decades-old communist and Muslim uprisings in the country and defend its territorial interests in the South China Sea.
1: Thank you, Scott, for the facts. Narrative A comes from GMA News Online. The Philippines is among many nations that believe AI is an emerging technology that poses a pressing global challenge. It's right to emphasize the need for a conversation to establish rules and institutions to govern the responsible use of AI. On a broader scale, it wants the UN to create a legally binding instrument prohibiting lethal autonomous weapon systems.
0: Narrative B comes from the Washington Post. AI is a catch-all for everything, from relatively uncontroversial technology like autocomplete to crime-predicting software. Our fears about the latter, underlined by Hollywood's apocalyptic portrayals of the technology, might be overwhelming our beliefs. Inevitably, AI will seep into almost every sphere of life. It would be better to keep pace with it than play catch up.
1: Our final nerd narrative of today's podcast, coming from the Tacticalist Prediction Community, says there's a 75% chance that an international AI regulatory agency like the IAEA for oversight of transformative AI systems will be established before 2030. Thanks for listening to the Verity Podcast for Tuesday, October 24th, 2023.
0: Each day, we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ. Find
1: out more at Verity.News. You can also download the Verity app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Scott Wallace, I'm Eric Steiner, inviting you to join us next time on the Verity Podcast.